0: Starting, scaling, oh, and exiting Larry, Larry, a business yay. is hard. So why do some oh, companies I'm achieve seven, eight, eight and nine-figure exits well, To
1: you answer like to these your questions, we sit nice, down
0: man. with top entrepreneurs who have exited uh, for more than ten million dollars, or currently run uh, ten million uh, dollar plus the, uh, businesses, and until they share their proven tactics and strategies. Welcome to Beyond Eight Figures. I've got a really great podcast called Legends and Losers. Uh, which is a lot of fun and um and he 's done a lot of stuff in the silicon valley arena we 're going to have him on uh pretty soon here, and uh, we 'll be talking about his um billion dollar exit so Ooh. i mean
1: yeah nice. that's uh, wow. with
0: with a b so that'll be uh that 'll be a lot of fun but uh, but he and I were talking, and we were just like, yeah you know this this if, if you 're looking for fluff and Gary vaynerchuk and lewis house and j o d and whatnot this ain't your podcast because uh, there's no set questions here. It's, this is just cut to the chase. Let's get to the brass tactics, if you will, and uh, and that's what we love doing here on the Best Business Podcast uh, is bringing people on for you who have done exactly what you just heard there on in the intro, although we'd we'll be changing that perhaps. Uh, which is, you know, look, you, you had to either exit for ten million plus or uh, are currently running a ten million plus business to to be here. So let's get to the uh, the nuts and bolts on how to make that happen. And uh, get to the eight-figure entrepreneurs who are given eight-figure advice. And so today, uh, really excited to be joined by Vicky, Vicky Winterton. Uh, how you doing, Vicky? You there?
2: I'm doing great. Thanks, Steve. Awesome. Hi, Mary. Hi, hello, Richard. and hi, everyone on the line.
0: Hello, hello, hi. hello. All right, really, really great having you here and uh and i know we were supposed to have you here in uh in studio when you were uh when, when you were in san diego with us and uh sorry we messed up uh i messed up on that honestly it's like oh i gotta be at uh, you know this uh, the summit thing with uh some thought leaders in the space and this that and the other and then sure enough i walk in and i'm like oh there's vicky right and i was like oh and of course you're here no wonder you're in san diego because you were at the same thing i was so we should have just cut away and just did it when you were here but uh but it's all good so you're uh, you're living the dream. You're down in uh, Mexico right now, hanging out, enjoying the sun and the warmth, and and uh, joining us here. So, thank you for taking the time out of your vacation, really, to uh, to be here with us. And I want folks to to get a good understanding of uh, of the business that you built and you exited from. So, what uh, what what was that business, and are you still involved with it in any way, or is it or was it a complete separation?
2: Um. It was a separation at the time, but I'm still very much involved with all the fundamentals. I was modeling when I was very young. And when I hit my mid-20s, I was also working part-time for an ad agency between modeling gigs. And I fell in love with the ad agency aspect of things and being on the other side of the camera. And so I just decided at the ripe old age in modeling at 24 to open my own ad agency, Hmm. and I really didn't know much about it other than what I had learned working at at this one firm, and um, so I just broke out, and this this is many decades ago. I broke out and decided to just do it, and I did it, and it was just absolutely an amazing experience. Hmm. It set the tone in so many aspects for the rest of my life in business and, and in actual life itself.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and so here's what I'm trying to understand. So it was uh, it was an ad agency. So were you representing models? Were you creating creative campaigns? Like what did one thing have to do with the other? Or was it just completely uh, separate and distinct from the modeling work?
2: Well, you know, we had some models for, for – the advertising agency that worked with us. But basically it was my, my fierce desire to want to be in more of a control of my life. Uh, Modeling is, were not manipulated by a lot of different factors, and when you get to be 24, you're already it's time to retire for a lot of models. So Mm -hmm. I looked at that and just thought, this is what I want to do. And we did a lot of uh, recruitment advertising as well as general advertising, and uh, it was a matter of starting from scratch absolutely nothing in a time that you know, was really repressed financially, we're, we're in a bad recession. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even pay any attention to that. I just jumped in and got started knowing nothing about it. So, uh, yeah, so I, I'd love to share the experience of, of what that looked like for me and how that still plays into the, all the things I'm doing today.
0: Yeah, now we'll, we'll, we'll get to that, but just so we can fast forward for a minute, t- talk to me through the exit. So what was the exit? Who bought you? How much was it? How, did, w- did you have partners at that point? Take us through the nuts and bolts of the exit.
2: Um, the, the exit was that uh, I had acquired a number of other smaller agencies, plus we had acquired some government contracts and some very lucrative contracts from Fortune 100 and 500 companies. So when I first started, I approached – an agency, a full-service agency, about the possibility of sharing space with them, and sharing their creative department. And, and the owner was thrilled about it. And when, after about three years, um, he ended up he ended up making me an offer to, uh, to acquire my portion of that the agency that was housed in the same building with him. But it, it became kind of a tail wagging the dog because he was doing between one and two million, and when we got into doing eight figures he really, he really wanted that for himself. So -hmm. I was actually acquired by him.
0: And so what, what was the buyout price? Did you have partners? What, uh, what was sort of the structure on that?
2: Yeah, the buyout price was twelve million, mm-hmm. and I didn't really have any partners um, other than his interest in the business and the fact that we had partnered on creative help and in the early stages of the biz- business. Also, that was our only office. Mm-hmm. We, um, it, eventually, the agency went to uh, four offices, and again, cri- acquiring two other agencies. And this was over a period of. of Three years—that mm-hmm. was really uh, quite substantial, especially way back then. This was yeah. in the
0: '80s. Yeah. So that was twelve million in the in the '80s when you did that, and obviously you've done a million things since then. But uh, what I'm trying to just get a, a handle on: so was it a stock deal? Was it a cash deal? Uh, was it a lump sum? Did you have to? Was there an earnout? What What did that look like?
2: There was a, somewhat of an earnout. There was some cash, and it took over a couple of years in order for the total payout. Hmm. Was there anything looking back that you may regret or wish you had done differently? As far that? as the exit goes? Yes. Um, as far as the exit, uh, probably not. I, w- I was ready to go. As far as the growth of the business, there there would have been a number of things I, I would have done differently and have done differently since. I found, especially because I was so young, I was at very, very... Um, preoccupied and and all my energy was going into creating more and more billing and getting bigger and bigger numbers and as a result of that we took some contracts at several times that almost doubled our size mm-hmm. which also means we needed to almost double the size of people we had working
1: mm-hmm. and
2: as a result of that Sometimes I, I, I think it's what I see a lot of now in my more mature years in business is people planning for growth, but not planning for how they want to grow and maybe tempering some of that growth depending on the climate that they want to keep and how they want to approach it. And uh, I think if I, if I had any regrets, it would have been that I would have tempered our growth to be a little less dramatic because it really changed the climate of the business. And when we acquired two businesses, that some of the people in those businesses came with the business. And as a result, it, it, it really changed the, um, I would just say, the, the climate of the business and the general, the general way the business was run and, uh, you know, some, some of the attitudes and so forth. So I think that that would have been my only regret because when I was doing it, I loved it. And then I got to a point where it it, it just got so big, and it mm-hmm. had changed so much that I really discovered I prefer a more entrepreneurial background, mm. or or, environment, uh, or sure. basically environment. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, I think too, you have to realize in advertising that you get actually fifteen percent growth. I'm talking growth from what your billing is. So early on, I had to really determine uh, that all of my emphasis had to be on net and profitability. Mm-hmm. And uh, we developed some contracts that definitely did some things on, you know, on film and collateral material and stuff that it, were, it, it was more substantial from the standpoint of, of the net profit. But it took a while, and yeah. that's a really scary, scary growth. Net ratio. So uh, one of the things I learned really strongly was to put a lot, a lot of emphasis on profitability mm-hmm. and that. And I and this is interesting because uh, uh, Steve and I both belong to various different masterminds and and extraordinary leadership groups. And uh, a few years ago, I had brought up the idea of a, a topic of subject in this in this day and time, would be wonderful to talk about profitability because that's really what brings you a life. And no one was excited about it. And I see now that there's more of a movement to put more of an emphasis on that. I'm really glad for that because I think uh, it's so important for those in business and entrepreneurship and bigger businesses to really be looking at the profitability, yeah, I mean, and especially it, when it you're depends. first
0: starting out. It, well, when you're first starting out, it also depends on the industry. I mean, obviously, yeah, look if you're in the if you're in the tech world, I mean, it's all top line revenue. I mean, you're, you're, that's what your multiple is based on is top line revenue. Nobody cares about what's your burn. As a matter of fact, they expect you to be burning right. So, it, it yes, in, of course, in, in a number of industries, it's going to matter. Uh, especially as you're looking to start out of the gate, profitability is something you got to keep an eye on. But again, it depends on what the uh, well, what the metrics are that really matter in that particular world. And certainly in the in the venture world, mm, well, uh, you, all you got to do is look at Walmart buying Flipkart today for sixteen billion, uh, and you can just start to imagine how different people look at the the metrics very differently. But from an entrepreneurial standpoint. Uh, certainly in your oh, case, yeah, it makes a, a ton of sense. So let me let me ask you this, because part of what we cover here is, uh, of course, starting a business and we can go back. And I know we've got some embryonic questions about that business as well. And then, of course, what you're doing now, we want to cover that uh, during our time together. But the second phase uh, that we like to talk about here is is growth, right? And, and being able to grow the business. And one of the things that you mentioned here that I don't want to just gloss over is that You can organically grow a business through revenue and and bringing on more salespeople and, you know, selling whatever that new thing is for you and growing different product lines, extensions, etc. In your case, you actually grew top line revenue and ultimately, I would think bottom line uh, net as well. But you you grew uh, a lot of top line revenue through uh, acquisitions. How did you fund those acquisitions as a small company? Because I'm trying to get a handle on that. What did they bring to the table? What were those companies doing at the time? How did you you fund those acquisitions? Because that's a great growth strategy. I mean, you can add employees, talent, subscribers. I mean, you name it through acquisitions, but a lot of people can't do it because they don't understand how to do it. So how did you do it?
2: Well, as I said, it's a tough business, and so what we did was investigate and, and really invite people in, or at least these two companies, and that were, were doing extremely well according to their, their clients and their client roster, and, 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 their, and again, their growth, but their net was killing them. And they were really suffering. And so they wanted to kind of go back to just participating almost in an employee status. And we were able, because we had all the processes in the place to know how to be able to overcome that in this industry, to bring them in and make them really successful in their own right because they were were not doing as well as they would have liked. And one of the businesses was almost failing. So we were able to bring them in, save their clientele. Give them a really great job, and and as a result, that's that's really how we funded it.
3: Mm-hmm. And to your point earlier, you were saying that it, you you didn't want to grow it. You wouldn't want to grow it as big again. Do you think those acquisitions, even though that helped you grow, that also changed your company culture because they didn't start out with your company at the beginning from scratch?
2: Totally. Totally, and something else that changed the company culture that you have to be so really careful of, I think, is if you grow a business, like several times we doubled our business through government contracts and other Fortune 500 really lucrative contracts, and when you do that, the, uh, the ability to be able to service those clients means you have to be able to staff, like, immediately. And so there were some people that if I had been able to staff over a longer period of time probably wouldn't been a part of our team. Mm-hmm. But because we needed them in, uh, that also changes culture. And uh, so I think both of those things, I've I just found that since then, being able to temper how that growth looks, how you want that to look, and what maybe you don't want in your business is as important as what you do. Mm-hmm.
0: So let's, let's go back to the embryonic stages of that business. A lot of people struggle getting out of that one employee, meaning yourself, uh, type structure, right? Where it's just you, you're doing everything. What, What was the first hire that you made? And what was that, as you look back then on your trajectory, you know, in terms of the growth of that business, was that the key hire? And if not, who then was the key hire that really helped to facilitate the massive growth?
2: Uh, the key hire was a person that I, I would call her a manager of our business and a manager of my life. Mm. <laughs> she was amazing. She was a um, more mature woman. I mean, really probably could have been retired with a tremendous background and tremendous intuition. And she ran every aspect of the operations for the business. And I did most of the sales and the client fostering and so forth. And then the second person we hired was a salesperson. Uh, And uh, basically it was someone that I kind of took under my wing and mentored and he was commission only and he ended up making a fortune a year for the time that it was Mm. uh, on commission only structure so the three of us ran that business until that business went at three million
0: well so um, it it, so it sounds like the, the the key person that you found was the person who really took care of the inside while you focused on the outside and so your zone of genius if you will Really lies in the relationships and and the the selling the outside part of the equation is that a pretty safe assessment?
2: Yes, it is, and we really fostered relationships. What I found, um, our our vision statement and my vision for the business became the way. We drove the whole entire business, and that was that we were going to be able to be incredibly profitable and successful and be totally honest with our customer base and mm-hmm. totally focused on on pleasing them but be honest with them because what I found around me were a number of agencies that were just not not practicing that. You know whether it was charging more for lineage rates and ads to, uh, you name it. They they just they were not honest with their customers. So we started actually pitching that as why they should join us. And even though we were a small agency, we got some huge accounts as a result of that. And uh, they would start checking their own books and things of that nature. And we said we will never do that to you. Not inferring that their agency was doing that, but just saying. That is the nature of the business, and that's something that sets us apart. And you will not find that with us. Find it with us, and it was amazing how the business grew with that vision and philosophy shared with clients. And we also got tons of referrals from from our current clients to other clients. It really snowballed. It was really mm-hmm. quite amazing. Yeah,
0: Rich, I know you had a question as well?
3: Yeah, I was going to ask you. So you had the three employees that got you to the first million. What and and you had systems and processes that were put in place to get that going. W- what were some of the processes or systems that you had to break to get to the ten million?
2: Uh, one of the things. Well, the first the, the fourth person we hired when we were at three million was actually a controller, and so uh, one of the one of the biggest things I think for most small business owners is when you start from nothing. And all of a sudden you have a fairly successful business. That's really rolling is to be able to delegate. Mm -hmm. And, um, I really had to discipline myself with that. And that was something that did not come easy. I found because, you know, I started out knowing nothing. And by the time we got into millions of dollars in revenue, I knew how to do everything Mm -hmm. in the business. And so it was, it was difficult sometimes to, to let go. But, uh, once we got a controller in, the financials were taken care of, and she was amazing, too. She was our fourth member, and everyone was totally dedicated and totally dedicated to our business vision. So mm-hmm. it, it was it was really fantastic. And I would say that getting a handle on the financial part, and at that time, it wasn't automated the way you can automate it today, but it, it was important to get a person in that position that could put systems in place that were more automated than what we had.
3: So did did she break anything that you had in place prior? Because, like, she came in. Did she know things you didn't know? Not necessarily with that business, but being a controller and and working operationally. operationally, Sure. Was there systems that that she broke? Because obviously something was working. But to get to that next level, as we all know, what gets you here doesn't always get you there. What did you have to change or break on purpose to get to that next spot? Yeah.
2: Well, one of one of my main concerns, uh, particularly in the financial realm, in addition to profitability, was really that we kept our promise to our clients, and that there were no errors in the billing to our clients, because that's what we were developing our relationships on. And um, when you're dealing with advertising, it, it it's really complicated, you know, because there's it's not like you're selling one thing for a lot of money. It's it's just all over the place. Mm-hmm. And so she, she took that in hand, and she reined me in and kind of weaned me out of that concern, and she took that over completely and put systems in place that, she, from her accounting background and so forth that were incredibly successful and uh, considerably more effective than the way we were doing things.
3: Got it. So And it
2: freed me up to do more things.
3: So reading between the lines then, if I might be wording this a little off, she broke you having the reins on everything. So it was kind of like.
2: Absolutely. That's what the process <laughs> was. To the other two. Yeah, not, not, and I, you know, I think I share this in common with others. It, especially in areas that are of critical importance, um, sometimes they're the hardest areas to let go. And I find still today that the hardest areas for me to let go are those areas that represent to everyone out there my personal integrity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was definitely the case. Back when this business was it was just growing like crazy, so it was it was real real important to me to make sure that that was clean. So it was important that when we hired someone in that position, that it was someone that I really trusted that shared our values. And I'd have to say that about uh, partnerships and and acquiring companies and any way you plan to grow. I find that one of the most important things to me is to be able to really identify with the purpose and intent of the people that I'm dealing with. Mm -hmm. If that is not there. And, and sometimes I get sidetracked like everyone I think is tempted to do from time to time, because there's a project or there's an aspect of the business that really looks fabulous. And, um, sometimes I still will not put enough emphasis on exactly what's entailed in that, where people are concerned and what their positioning is. And now I look at it real carefully before I go into any endeavor like that, because to me, I think that that's critical, really Mm -hmm. critical.
0: Yeah. And it it is important also to note, just so so that we're all talking uh, apples and apples here. When you were talking about getting to $3 million in revenue in an ad agency environment, that's $3 million in revenue, but you're, you're taking that in, and 85% is actually going to buy the media that you're buying for your client. So that's not even revenue, or am I wrong on that percentage?
2: Well, what we did was we diversified. So we brought clients in that we did film projects for, we brought clients in that we did collateral material for Mm -hmm. radio, um, airtime buys and so forth. So, uh, when, when you get into the creative end of things, it can be very lucrative. So our, we shifted from 15 to 17% to between 35 and 45%. Some, sometimes it was 50% on projects in some years. Yeah. So, So it was by diversifying where there was more profitability and and guiding our clients to that, too, because some of our clients were very immature about the way they were spending their budget. And uh, with with a little education, we were able to make their advertising more effective and also utilizing some of the means that they had never even looked at before that was more profitable to us but also more productive for them.
0: Mm And so just out of curiosity, so 12 million comes in again top line revenue at that point what well, I mean it sounds like there was almost a 1 to 1 multiple so the so the multiple on that was not I mean not very strong was there was there a reason why you accepted an offer at basically a 1 to 1 multiple
2: Um yes I uh, because I honestly I was really ready to go to something that was smaller, something that I had more control. By the time the company was into, well into eight figures, we had uh, almost 70 employees and we had four officers. And uh, it, it had turned into something that was not my vision. And I, I had known this person long enough who wanted to acquire us to know that that had been his vision from the start. And so it just moved me um, into an even uh, equally lucrative career for me personally, and that some of our clients started inviting me in to do um, some building of uh, the dream and image that the CEOs of Fortune 500 and 100 companies have, and then work with their teams to actually make that dream come true. And I traveled all over the world, and I did that for 30 years. And so that that was an option that also came my way, and that just became more appealing to me. Mm
3: -hmm. I was going to ask, what was something that you weren't expecting or something that you just came out of left field that you didn't think was going to happen, but it did happen, and then what did you do to correct it?
0: You're talking about in while she was running the business? Yeah, while
3: you're running the business. What, you know, everyone's flying, doing the thing they think is right, right? Bringing on new clients, bringing on uh, new projects. What, I, And I'm, I have a guess, but I don't want to... Preframe it what what happened while you were running that business that maybe led you to believe you didn't want to do it anymore and you did want to exit right because i'm I, as I was about ready to ask the question prior to Steve asking his you you kind of answered it and you didn't want to grow it anymore right i I work with e-commerce clients now where when they get to about the ten million a year everyone's trying to copy them so they they're, a lot of them would rather have two three Three, four, $5 million businesses than get, because you just run into different problems. And so you might have answered the question in, in Steve's previous question, but was there anything that came out of left field that you weren't expecting to happen that did happen, and then what did you do to correct it? Is, does that make sense?
2: Um, I, I think there were a couple things. One of the things that's pretty common in advertising, and because I – had a really, I was approaching this with the highest level of integrity from my own personal integrity. Is that clients will sometimes barter with you for various different things uh, in order to get their account, and it can be anything from tickets to a ball game to uh, you name it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, there were places there where I really drew the line, and it cost us some some major accounts as a result of it. Um, there were there were also accounts that would ask us to pay maybe a member of, of the organization uh, a fee under the table. Uh, these kind of things are at least in that particular industry are really common. So you have to make a, a decision about do you want to get the business? Because I mean, there was one particular instance I can think of where my team and I probably created the best creative that I have ever. Ever seen before or since? You know, in my in my career, and uh, the the main catalyst for getting that account was a kickback, mm-hmm. and I wouldn't go there. Mm-hmm. And so we didn't get the account, but we got tons of uh, compliments on what we had done, and they even showed our competitors the creative that we had created mm-hmm. for them. So it worked out well that we didn't take the account. But sometimes you have, to, you have to make decisions based on integrity, and sometimes that can be very costly in a number of different ways. And um, uh, you, you have to decide what decisions you want to make. And then if you do make decisions that you want to be more liberal about how you approach those kind of things as they come your way, then you have to live with your agreement yeah. that you've done that.
3: Well, that might be... and, and,
2: and what what will that do? what, what does that do to you then? You know, and some people can go through it and be fine with it, and others can't.
3: Yeah, I was going to say just uh, that might be something that you didn't start from scratch with. Coming up as a model, you probably learned real quick there's all kinds of ways to get jobs mm-hmm. if you want to lose your integrity, and you probably carried that with you into your new business because it sounds like that's Absolutely. partially why you know you have yeah.
0: You know, yeah. So let me let me ask you this, Vicky. So were you able to uh, I mean, it's been a number of years now. Or were you have you been able to live off of that exit since then? Or did you did you put the money to the side? Did you invest it? Did you lose it? Did you start from scratch? Like what what ended up happening just in terms of uh, the exit for you and, and the cash that came in?
2: Well, the first thing I did was I bought a sailboat and I lived on the sailboat for about five years.
1: Wow! And wow. Um,
2: what I found like the most important value to me when I came out of the business, uh, because it it became so consuming uh, with just the managing of it that the things that I really loved to do I didn't have time for anymore. Mm-hmm. So freedom became really, really important to me. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I did was I started working all over the world consulting to Fortune five hundred companies and educational systems and you name it. And and that was. That was my life for 30 years. Hmm. So um, I would say that the first thing I invested in was freedom. And I have not compromised that Mm -hmm. since.
3: How long until you knew you had to get back to work after you sold it?
2: I think I took about um, a year off and went sailing a lot and you know really really cleared my head and decided where do i want to go from here and there were offers out there as i said from some of our clients and 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 others that had been referred uh to to come and do some really interesting things with them and after about a year when you've been so busy and dedicated uh I don't know. I just I got kind of bored. I thought I've got to get back into this and do something. So that's really what motivated me. Mm -hmm. And then the idea that um, companies were making offers from all over the world was incredible. I mean, I spent uh, I spent six months in the UAE. I spent six months in Australia. All of these were long term commitments—six months to a year. Where you actually went and worked with the company uh, to have them fulfill their actual implementation and goals. So uh, it it just became very interesting. It was across all, since the advertising was across all sorts of different industries, name it financial, you know, medical, fast food. I I mean, it just goes on and on. Those companies were all seeking me out, and what was wonderful about that was it was It was always new. You know, there were always new developments in in all of these different areas. And um, so I I really loved it. And that's what drew me back in.
0: So as you sit here today then and reflecting on those experiences, and then you've started another company uh, since then in the the publishing world and uh – I am appreciative of the fact that you you featured me actually on the cover of the magazine you do called Published. Uh, so thank you for that. That was a I don't know four or five years ago already, and uh, definitely appreciate that. But um, you've applied a lot of obviously what you've learned over the years to this this new business as well. So what advice would you have for the five figure entrepreneur who is looking to get to six figures or the six figure entrepreneur looking to get to seven figures or the seven figure entrepreneur looking to get to eight figures and beyond and then potentially exit. What how do how do we summarize these uh, these years of experience into the advice that you would give to entrepreneurs today?
2: First of all it's follow your bliss. It's the Joseph Campbell, sometimes over quoted quote, but I really do believe in that. You have to be doing what you love. And if if you're doing what you love, everything comes natural, and it doesn't feel like work. And uh, way back when I had the ad agency, you know, I, 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 to get research and information, network, and all of that costs a lot of money. Now it's all free on the internet. I mean, people have have access to everything they need to make their business successful. But the one thing that they can't replace, they can replace knowledge. They can replace learning. They can, they can hire someone or they can actually learn it themselves free now with the Internet available. But the one thing that they can't replace is passion and the bliss that they find by doing what they are passionate about. So I really I had an accountant years ago that told me that when, when you find a hobby that you love, that will usually become your business. Hmm. And it will become a successful business, and and I do believe that because I think for people that get into a business because they're looking at the profit only or just the money end of it, it always remains a job.
1: Yeah, let me and let me challenge
2: you that um,
0: for for one second though, because like there are in you know look, I mean I think in some circumstances that makes a lot of sense, but like just because you're passionate about growing tomatoes and like you grow these tomatoes every summer and you and you make them and they, you pass them out to your neighbors, your neighbors are like oh my god you make the best tomatoes in the whole way, like you grow the best tomatoes are delicious. I mean, it doesn't mean you should be a tomato farmer, right? I mean, like going from hobby to enterprise is is a completely different proposition. So is that always the case that you should follow your bliss? I mean, sometimes it doesn't turn into a business or you try to turn it into a business and you're not meant to be an entrepreneur.
2: Well, I think, I think um, you need to go below, uh, even below like, passion. You need to go to the essence. Uh, If you're just looking at you love tomatoes, why do you love tomatoes? What is it that appeals to you about tomatoes? Maybe it's because you believe they're significant of people's health. Mm-hmm. and you want to inform people about that or you want to do something within the health industry you have to go to the essence of what it is and i've had people often say gee you've done so many different things in your life and when i really boiled it down at one point to the essence everything that i have done has been the same and that is that i i look at myself as um uh, it's kind of a, a, a middleman between someone who needs something and someone who has the ability to supply it. That's what advertising is. That's what publication is. That is exchanging it, it, or creating information or uh, showcasing information to people who need that information. So when I yeah. boiled that down to the essence, I realized my whole life has been totally consistent in everything I've done.
0: Gotcha. All right, good
2: the, stuff. The able.
0: I'm sorry. No, no, no. I was just going to say, I mean, it's really good stuff, and I appreciate the perspective on that. I just want to make sure that we give you an opportunity here to let people know where to find more information out about you. So where, where should folks go? And uh, obviously, you've got uh, you know, the things that you're doing personally and then the things that you're doing with uh, your publishing side of the equation. But where, where is the best place for folks to go today to find out more information about you? To find
2: out more information, go to mybookmybiz.biz.com. Mm-hmm. And all of the information about what we're doing there for, for coaches, speakers, entrepreneurs, and so forth to get them known in best-selling books is all there. And uh, the reason I trans it, it, it really transitioned into doing publishing is that we developed a community for coaches because I wanted to get back. And I soon realized that a lot of people that are in uh, service businesses, are they, they have the greatest hearts and the greatest minds about what they provide, but they d- do not know how to market. So we created all of these marketing vehicles. Steve, you mentioned earlier a magazine. We created radio shows. This was all about 10, 12 years ago. Mm-hmm. And then we discovered doing books. For ourselves and then for others and then taking them to bestseller and in all my years of everything i've done i've never seen anything more powerful for image or for business boosting or even for personal boosting than than a best-selling book so that's what we're doing now and it is at mybookmydesk.com
0: all right well thank you so much yeah absolutely really do appreciate you coming on today with us vicky and you know, I mean, it is uh, it's, a, it's a pretty interesting story. As we like to uh, share the the success stories here. I mean, there are other shows that will take you through the trials and tribulations, and oftentimes the people that have had the successes that are on the Best Business Podcast have had the you know the the failures, if you will, uh, also. But sometimes you come across the entrepreneur who just has had nothing but a, a string of winners. As a matter of fact, I just read. Uh, and I didn't know this, but I just read um that the the guys who started Glassdoor, which is the recruiting company, just sold uh out of that business uh for it was, it's definitely a B, I forget what the exact amount is. But what I didn't know is that the guy who started Glassdoor actually also was involved with starting Expedia. Mm. But oh. as if but as if that's not enough, he also was involved with uh, he was involved with Spencer and starting Zillow, hmm. so wow. so I mean you talk about three grand slams. Well, and not only
3: that, but totally different verticals,
0: totally different verticals, yeah. disrupting in each of those verticals.
3: But I
2: think your brain starts to see success in different things, and you just well, I you don't spot know patterns. Yeah, I think you exactly. spot
3: patterns in your relationships are probably the two keys, mm-hmm. right? Like because the people he built the first one with. Yeah. And when you have success early on. that was coming on, out of
0: Microsoft. So Expedia came out of Microsoft, right? So yeah. that was, you get under that umbrella and that organization for sure.
3: But then when you get, so take, go back to like PayPal and the PayPal mafia, right? These mm-hmm. guys, you PayPal's success. And who comes out of that? Elon Musk, Peter Thiel, Reid Hoffman. I mean, re, yeah. like crazy. And they go on Tesla, LinkedIn, LinkedIn. you know, yeah. I mean, yeah. just. Sure. Wildness. And I just think if you can get a success early, you got a better shot. Doesn't mean that the, the fascinating part to your point, though, is when you can do it in a totally different vertical. Yeah. You got something special going on in there.
0: Yeah. And Vicki was able to do that uh, coming out. And my, she didn't go deep into the conversation around it, but my hunch is she was a successful model. When she was doing that work and then that led to the agency work and having success in that and then uh, reevaluating what's most important, taking that time off and then coming back at it from the standpoint of getting into the world of publishing and applying so much of what she learned from those initial experiences into uh, this current work as well.
2: Well, it sounded like she got to know herself through the whole process. Sure. Oh, this doesn't feel good to me. I want to do it this way. Yeah. yeah. Sounds like she had high
3: integrity the whole way. Yeah. But, but it was about all of those had to do with attention, though. Attention. Every one of those.
0: Sure. All three of those. Sure. Modeling, ad agency, yeah, publishing. True. Yeah. Visibility, attention. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and, and look, our goal here at the Best Business Podcast is to try to bring you the entrepreneurs that you may not normally have access to and to to hunt the world over to find those entrepreneurs who are up to amazing things and have had exits, have you know had exits for over ten million or are currently running ten million dollar plus businesses, uh, and we're going to do our best to try to get episodes out as quickly as we can to keep the information running there. But it's hard to track these people down; they're yeah. busy people. They're sailing so around the world. We're doing right? our best, <laughs> and we'll talk to you next time. You've been listening to Beyond Eight Figures. Share your thoughts on today's episode and what you'll apply to your business by emailing us
1: at feedback at beontefigures.com.
0: And if you haven't already done so, we'd greatly appreciate it if you took a moment now to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Until next time, keep scaling.